You're listening to the Tripping Off Podcast. Today I'm joined by social media superstar, Dr. Courtney Tracy. She's been featured in numerous news articles around the world, even as far away as Australia. And while she has nearly 800,000 followers on TikTok, she still finds time to run her own adult addiction clinic in California. Today she joins me as we talk about her passion for the unconscious mind and the major mistakes she sees people making when it comes to addiction treatment. She's a game changer. Yeah, thank you so much, Jesse. It's great to be on here with you guys, and I'm excited to get started. Yeah, it's it's going to be great. I I'm really excited to have you because um, you have gained quite a following on social media with a lot of the stuff that you do, and have a kind of experienced uh, what I've experienced in some ways that TikTok boom, where you know <laughs> we as therapists just kind of got onto social media trying to help people out and spread positivity and awareness, and then things just kind of like blew up and you're like currently at the time of recording this over 800,000 uh, on TikTok uh, got quite a following and doing a lot of good there. How did that kind of happen for you? Did Is that the plan? Like have you always been in social media and influencing or what's the story? Yeah. So, well, thanks for bringing that up because it's really the only reason that we're probably having this conversation is because of TikTok. And you know, I wasn't someone who was a fan of social media, like back in 2008, when I was still or like 2007, when I was still in high school and Instagram came out and it was all about like using like the crazy filters where you like the world didn't look anything like it did in real life. And it wasn't about like it was just a, it was more about creativity and an image and less about the reality of existence because it was so new, like just making these images and putting them out there to people. And so social media for me was at first a way to be creative, but also not authentic in a sense. And then over time, my family would start to come onto social media. And then, you know, the older generations would get Facebook and all stuff. And then, you know, social media got a little strange. Yeah. And then throughout that whole decade, I was going to school to become a therapist and get my doctorate. And so I was really busy. And so I wasn't so connected with social media. And I got my doctorate and finally finished schooling and got licensed at the end of last year of 2019. And I thought, I mean, I like to have a really busy mind. And I know the reason for that. <laughs> it's because I don't want to pay attention to everything that's <laughs> happened in my life. And I pay attention to it now and I've always known that. But so I figured, I, I also wanted to get to know who I was outside of school because I was in higher education for 11 years and I didn't, I had all this time to fill. And so I thought, well, what am I gonna do with my education? What am I gonna do with all this experience? And what am I gonna do with my time? And mm -hmm. I thought, well, might as well start a social media account. So I started with Instagram at the end of last year. And my cousin, who's a social media manager, was like, listen, there's a lot of therapists on Instagram. And they're mm -hmm. all pretty cookie cutter for the most part currently. And it's and I want you to check out TikTok. And I said, I, no, I said, isn't that like a <laughs> lip syncing app? Like I used to see the ads for it being musically. I'm not doing that. Right, right. And was, yeah. And she was like, Courtney, just download the app. And I was like, okay, fine. So I downloaded it and I fell in love instantly, not because it's unconsciously addictive, but because- <laughs> We'll talk about that soon enough. <laughs> oh, certainly. But yeah. mainly because of the authenticity, the vulnerability, the realism that I saw on TikTok, the people that were on there. And she ah. said, see, this is why you as a therapist should be on this because your perspective of 
therapy and what you look like and the words that you use, it's appropriate for this app and people will eat it up. And that's what happened. And so now I'm where I'm at today. Wow. Okay. So, so the journey toward TikTok, uh, I think for you, like a lot of us was like, ugh, okay, I guess I'll get TikTok now. <laughs> that, right. that, that sigh of uh, exhale that you had was so indicative of what a lot of us have felt with TikTok. But really your draw toward TikTok was a draw toward authenticity and realism that you felt like Instagram uh, lost in some ways and didn't have in the same way. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's really like the, the younger generations that are on TikTok and the older generations that are coming onto TikTok, they're realizing that authenticity, vulnerability, and being your real self, allowing yourself to be a human being is really what's progressive. It's really what's pushing forward conversations, the ability to make change and for people to show up with no makeup in their pajamas and like talk about how they're depressed and not even in a triggering way. Like the mental health community yeah. on TikTok is insane. Like trigger warnings all over the place. Everybody in the comments being compassionate to one another when someone posts something about the fact that they're struggling. It's pretty incredible. And I'm really proud to be a part of the community there. Wow, that's awesome. And so it just kind of kind of blew up for you. And so, um, you know, with your, you know, social media management stuff, you know, did you, are there any particular strategies that you've employed or is it really just like that? Like just pure authenticity is viral in that way. It really is just pure authenticity. I mean, the, that's beautiful. The, thank you. The videos that I try, the videos that are forced, the videos where I'm like, I need to do this type of video and maybe I won't wear my dark lipstick and maybe I won't show my tattoos because I wanted to see like, how would the content do if I wasn't my authentic self? And they bombed. They really didn't do well. And it, and I didn't have the intention of them doing poorly. I did everything I would normally do. I right. just took away the authenticity and made it more blanket and more surface level. And people did not like it. And that really showed me that being authentic is it's what people are hungry for. Yeah, people people love that. Ah, yeah, I've I've had a few of those where you know I'll, I'll post a video and I'll be like, oh man, this one's gonna do great, and then it does terrible, and then I'll make this video like off the cuff, like no no prep, no nothing, and it's like that's the one that people are like, oh yeah, they loved it, ate it up. Oh, okay, well it's it's cool to see that you know there's some similarities in the experience that can be had on TikTok. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, to take a break from social media for a minute, and we'll jump back in, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about you. You do quite a lot. Like you have a, a treatment center, you have a private practice. Can you tell me a little bit more just background about you, like what you do outside of social media and more of your professional life? Sure, of course. And thanks for asking. So, <clears throat> I mean, I had a difficult upbringing in my childhood that led me to going into college to study psychology when I was 17. And I have been studying the mind since I was 17. So for the last 13 years, that's really all that I focused on outside of numbing my own mind for many years with <laughs> drugs and alcohol. That's been, the, those are really the two experiences that I've had in my life is education for psychology and then figuring out my own mind in a variety mm -hmm. of different ways. And so I started working in actual mental health treatment in 2012 uh, for a volunteer homeless program in Venice, California. And then I worked for the county and I was like, this is not for me. <laughs> I couldn't do I hear it. That. I hear I that. I really couldn't do it. The agency burnout is real. 
Oh yeah. I only lasted six months and I was like, mm. this is not, I have to be out. And so then I started working in private treatment in at a luxury high-end alcohol and drug treatment center in Malibu for three and okay. a half years. And I worked with celebrities and people flew all over the country and all over the world to go to this place. And I, and that's where I really started to see the unconscious mind. And I started to see how addiction plays into or how the fact that people don't understand how their mind works and how their body works and how that plays into addiction. Yeah. So I have a humanistic and positive psychology background, but also psychoanalytical and also existential. And, and so I saw the type of clinical care that was at the place that I used to work at and I wanted it to be more existential and more humanistic. So I opened up my own place and I did Love that. It three and a half years ago in Santa Barbara. And so I manage it. I founded it. I'm the CEO of it. I, in the beginning, I saw the clients and did groups and talked to the insurance companies and did the billing and I did all of it. And now what I do is I manage my staff of 15. We have between 15 and 20 clients. <clears throat> and so I do that remotely for the most part. I'm in Laguna Beach, California, and the treatment center is in Santa Barbara. So I commute every now and then. So that's like mainly what I'm handling throughout the week. And then I have a podcast that I just started. Your unconscious is showing. That's <laughs> and, right. That's right. Episode yeah. five, I think. Huh? Episode five coming out with six, right? Yes. Yes. So I, I was doing every other week and now I'm starting to do weekly, which is pretty cool. And hopefully I'll get some guests on every now and then. So a podcast, a treatment center, and then I have free mental health courses. Mm. Yeah. You've got a lot of free resources. Like your website is, is beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, the reason that I have the free mental health course, they used to cost money. Mm -hmm. And then I did this giveaway for like one person to get a free annual membership. And they were like, almost a thousand people that asked for the free membership. And then I kind of was like, as a therapist, I couldn't just pick one person. Uh, I'm like, well, after I saw all these people that like wanted help. And so I was like, why did I make the courses? I made them because people don't get emotional education and they need it. And so how can I help the world? Well, I'll just make them free and do it out of the goodness of my heart. So I completely <laughs> made it free. I refunded everyone um, who had ever paid, and then I made it free. And so those are the things that I have going on. I have my podcast, free mental health courses, and then my treatment center for now. Yeah. Have you noticed uh, when you gave things away for free, how that changed your interaction with your audience? Did that, did that create a different dynamic there? Yeah, it made it better. It yeah. made it better to me because, or for me, you know, I, I really don't like marketing. And <laughs> the reason why I don't like it is because, can I, can I like curse on this podcast? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I think that marketing like really fucks with people's heads. Like literally that's mm. the point of it. It's the, the point of it is to like tackle your subconscious and make you buy something or think something. And I was so sick of marketing my shit. Like I didn't want to market my courses. I didn't want to figure out ads. I didn't want, like, I didn't want to like do any of that. And it felt like, like I already have a job, you know, I'm just trying right. to help people with these courses. And so it actually, it freed me up, like all the time and attention that I was putting in to try to figure out how to be manipulative to people, I decided I'll just make it free. And then if they want it, then they can have it. 
and I don't need to try to make them want it or make them realize that they want it. And so it helped me so much making it free. free. I, I, I felt freed. Yeah, you seem like a stress and a burden's <laughs> lifted off your shoulders. Like <laughs> it helped it helped a lot. Yeah, and and you're kind of right. There's a lot of uh there's a lot of unconscious suggestions <clears throat> and well, I don't know if I want to use the the big word manipulation, but yeah, mm-hmm. kind of in marketing. That's trying to get you and convince you to do something that otherwise you might not do. I mean, they're trying to get you to part with your money. Like that's what right. marketing's about. And so, well, with your background, someone who appreciates the unconscious mind, you just couldn't do that in good faith. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people fear giving away stuff for free and having that relationship with their audience because they think it will make people not as invested in in the experience, not as invested or not not treat the material with the same amount of value they would if they had paid for it. Do you do you find that to be you know, the case, some people who have those fears, what, what would you say to those people who are maybe afraid to do things for free like that? I think that it depends on the field. So okay. I think with mental health, either way, whether someone pays or whether they don't, they're going to put in either what they are consciously capable of putting in or what they're ready to put in. And Fair. so, you know, I've noticed that the people who like I got so many messages from people who wanted to join it and couldn't afford it. And they are so fully invested. It's crazy. Like the messages that I get, the hard work that they do. Like I just saw this video, this TikTok that someone made that tagged me, they tagged me in it. Yeah. And they're in my, they're in my community and they had an entire notebook full of notes that they took from my course that they never would have gotten access to learn about themselves, their lives, their family, because they didn't have $22. It's like, that's so devastating to me. And so I really just trust that the right people are going to find the content. And I've never had a bad comment. I've never gotten a bad email. I've never had someone cancel their membership. And I think it's because I already have enough of a barrier, like what I look like, the way that I talk. It's like, if some, like they already know what they're getting themselves into. It's not some like blanket. Here's a course on anxiety. It's like, I'm going to fucking talk to you about anxiety and this is how I'm going to talk. And I'm going to tell you that like, you're supposed to have it and here's why. And so it kind of weeds those people out that are like going to judge me and my work, I think. Yeah. It almost sounds as if you're saying that, you know, I want you to tell me if this sounds correct or not, but if you try and give stuff away for free, that's inauthentic, it's going to cheapen it. And so it's almost like if you're making somebody pay for something that has a lot of marketing and manipulation tied into it, by them paying, it makes them value that thing. But if you have that sweet spot of being extremely authentic and giving something away for free that is unashamedly, unabashedly authentic, the value is so intrinsic that people will find it if they want it. And those people who don't value it didn't want the value to begin with. Is that? Exactly. Okay. I, I think that that's completely right. Okay. I mean, people have their own ideas, really, of whether a product is going to work or not initially and that affects whether it does it affects whether it does or not and so but but i I also think again that goes to the to the mental health field because if it's just a product for example if something i mean everything affects your mind in one way or another everything affects your life in one way or another but when it comes to mental health like it just people are going to go there if they want to go there and they're not if they're not right like it's different than like a shoe you know, it's like a True. shoe needs to like do certain things and there's different <laughs> types of shoe. It's like 
I don't know. It's just different. I think it's a different field altogether. Yeah. I, I yeah, totally hear that. Completely. So I, you know, talking more about like what you do professionally, you know, there's, I'm curious about your interpretation or your thoughts uh, around sort of substance abuse treatment, because a lot of substance abuse treatment comes at that topic of mental health from a very behavioral sort of CBT, if anyone's familiar, cognitive behavioral therapy, that acronym, uh, you know, here's your treatment plan, here's what you do, follow these steps, implement these coping skills and, and coping strategies, and just muscle through it. Uh, very, very behavioral sort of sense, but you come about it in a much different sort of approach. Uh, tell me more about that. What are your thoughts about the behavioral sort of treatment plan and why you don't use that as much? Yeah, that's like the question of my career, really. <laughs> yeah, I bet. It's it so is. different. It is, yeah, and 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 you know, I spent an entire year writing my dissertation on why behavioral interventions don't work for the addictive population. Oh, you got to tell me more about that. <laughs> and I defended it in front of four other doctoral level clinicians and said, like, I think I'm right, and they came up with every possible reason that I could be wrong and I defended against them. And that's why I can call myself a doctor at this point. Damn. Well played. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And so, I mean, the actual evidence shows that cognitive behavioral therapy and motivational interviewing to an extent and behavioral contingency management, it doesn't work for like, it's, it's ineffective for opiate use disorders, for cocaine and meth use disorders. It sort of works for alcohol use and it sort of works for marijuana, mm. but it doesn't, it's just like we are as a human species <laughs> using so many different types of substances. And, and I think like, I think people who are in touch with their consciousness and their unconscious and their subconscious and awareness and mindfulness, those like people that are um, people that acknowledge their existence and on this planet are capable of using a different type of intervention than someone that isn't in touch with the fact that they exist on planet Earth in the universe. And they <laughs> more so need to stick to cognitive behavioral therapy, because that's possibly how they live their lives more on a surface level, which there's sure. nothing wrong with that. I think people who go more existential and more edgy and more alternative have sort of been through shit in their life mm. that kind of forced them to realize that they are existing in the moment. And like, what does that mean for them? And so people who use substances, people who shoot up heroin and fentanyl, sorry, trigger warning, people who do those types of things, they are at a point in their lives and in their minds where they are questioning their existence. You got a point. And like they're risking their lives. Like they may not know in the moment that they're risking their lives, but they also do know that in the moment at the same time. And so it's like, we have to go deeper than you're presenting with depression. Okay. He, go on a walk when it's sunny. It's like, there is like, there's more going on. Like someone who's using hardcore substances for five years, 10 years, even five months, if they're using so much of it that they've just completely lost themselves, they need to go inward and figure out the purpose and meaning of their life. And a lot of the times, if the person, if the client, if the patient, if the human being that's suffering doesn't say, 
I feel like my life is meaningless. I feel like I don't have a purpose in the world. Then a lot of the times the clinician won't go there. Mm. A lot of the times the clinician will stay with the thoughts and stay with the feelings and stay with the surface level behaviors. And the relapse rate in the United States of America after successful completion of treatment is 60 to 80%. It's clearly so there's something high. wrong. Yeah, like clearly it's not working. And they're like, yeah. oh my God, it's just like, I can see the like to- visceral frustration in you. Like, like, yeah. ah, like why, why are we still trying this? 60 why to 80%. Come on. Yeah. It's like, I just, you know, that's why I even went on to get to my doctorate or get my doctorate because I didn't have to do a thesis for my master's because it was in social work and they don't require yeah. it at USC. Okay. And I was like, I have to do this. Like, to get the word, you know, sometimes people go to get their doctorate just to be called a doctor. I thought a lot about like, what does a, what is a doctor? A doctor is someone that provides medicine and or heals the field that they get their doctorate in. And the addiction field needs some fucking healing. And so mm-hmm. I came in and I was like, I'll dedicate a year of my life to help show people that the science does show that the things that we're doing now, it aren't working and that we need to be alternative and we need to look at it from a different perspective. And things are only not evidence-based until we get evidence for it. So it's like, it doesn't right. mean that it doesn't work. It just means that we're still doing research to get to the point where you finally listen to us. <laughs> People do use that uh, a lot of times to sort of try and attempt to dismantle uh, therapies that are more unconscious because they're like, oh, it's not evidence-based. And well, even that argument's not very good because there's a lot of evidence for a lot of the unconscious stuff that we do, even the stuff that you cited in like your dissertation and the research that you've done. Uh, But a lot of people cling to those more behavioral, cognitive behavioral therapy type treatments because they're like, oh, they're evidence-based. And, you know, I think we have to really look at that term, like you're saying, and be, okay, what does evidence-based mean? It just means that there's been a lot of research done on it. It doesn't mean that it's the perfect solution just means that like, and especially things that are behavioral and CBT, like they lend themselves easily to research. And so it's easy to do research. So therefore there's a lot of evidence on them. Right. It's kind of frustrating. <laughs> and I can see that you kind of feel that as well. Yeah, completely. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on, I mean, my, my side of the TikTok hemisphere, the social media hemisphere is in hypnotherapy and dream interpretation, dream analysis. Uh, have you had any experience with those type of things? What are your thoughts on hypnotherapy or dream interpretation, stuff like that? What do you think? Well, I'm really glad that you're bringing it up because it's an area that I don't have experience in. And, and there's wonderful. And I love that because, okay. So (laughs) (laughs) in my senior year of high school, we had, we had grad night and they brought a hypnotist. Oh yeah. That's pretty common actually. Yeah, is it? Yeah, <laughs> I, there's cool. obviously being in the community, like the things that pop up when you first search hypnosis on YouTube are these like, literally, it, that's exactly it. It's these videos <laughs> about some, you know, guy with a beard and like white wispy hair who goes on stage in front of a high school crowd, gets a bunch of kids on stage and makes them do silly yeah. things. Right. Yes, yeah, so that's exactly what happened. And so I was 17 years old and I was like really wasted and because it was grad night and I would just, I thought it was such a joke. And what that showed, like, I don't think that now. And, but what it showed me was 
I was so out of touch. Like I didn't know anything about the unconscious, nothing yeah. when I was that age. And I was clearly unconsciously running from all of my issues. Oh, and so I feel that so deep. Right. And so that was my first experience with it. And I was like, this is like ridiculous. All these people are faking it. Like that guy felt he just fell over because he's going along with the show, whatever it is. And so I didn't believe it at all. And then and I kept running from my unconscious and subconscious for probably like seven, six, seven years after that. And once I started realizing that I was the cause of a lot of my problems and that I really had to go inward and see what is going on in my head that's making my life the way that it is and in the areas that I can change, in the areas that I can control. And I realized that there's a lot more to me and my mind than I ever wanted to accept. I guess I knew it, but I only knew it enough to run from it. I didn't know enough about it to accept it. Right, right. Yeah. And so now I really want to learn more. And I really want, like, I love dream interpretations. I've only, like, really analyzed my own or, like, the people around me. I haven't done it with clients. But I, I just, I want to know more about, like, the how it had the structures of the brain, the psychological processes of the brain of hypnotherapy and the interpretation of dreams. And so I'm excited that you asked because I, I want to hear whatever you like, what's like the general way to describe what it is that you do. Yeah. So fantastic. Uh, the idea behind hypnotherapy, I mean, the unfortunate truth and a lot of like what I do as an advocate for hypnotherapy and being in the social media spotlight is I have to kind of dismantle all of those preconceived notions about what hypnosis is because most people, their first interaction with the term hypnosis is and are those type of stage magic performances, which are very much like there's tricks that a, hypnos, um, a hypnotist or a hypnotherapist can do to suggest and to find the right people in the audience and make plants and pick them out so that way they know they're going to put on a good show. And in the end, like somebody who's doing that type of thing is trying to put on a good show. That's the point of that experience. However, as a therapist, meeting one-on-one -on -one with an individual for hypnotherapy, my, my goal is obviously very, very different. Like I'm there to help that person through the principles of the unconscious mind. So Sure, the principles, uh, they share some similarities, but the outcome and the direction of the treatment of the experience is very, very different. But the basic idea is, you know, there's two parts of the brain. There's the conscious mind and the unconscious mind. Conscious mind kind of occupying only 12% uh, those two frontal lobes up in the front that help make all of our cognitive, logical decisions, you know, linguistic understanding and interpretation. And the rest of our mind, that other 88%, being all of the emotions, the sensory processing, the brainstem that keeps our heart and our lungs beating and breathing, all of that stuff. And what can happen is there can be a split between the conscious and the unconscious. And hypnotherapy is the vehicle that we use to reintegrate those two parts of the brain. The, the secret to doing it though, and, and what you know we teach at Trauma Focused Hypnotherapy, uh, teaching other therapists how to become hypnotherapists is uh, the trick with the two parts of the brain is if you understand how they work, you can get them to start to interact one with another again. Mm -hmm. The conscious mind, it doesn't have a lot of attention. 
it's very focused and it gets very easily worn out. So if you give it something to pay attention to, like my voice or like, I mean, pardon the cliche, but Sigmund Freud with his swinging pocket watch, if you give it something to focus on, it gets tired and it sort of numbs out. And then the unconscious mind, like when we fall asleep and our dreams just come out and play, we can start to interact with these stories and images and metaphors and archetypes that really get to directly the core of whatever it is that's going on below that we've been consciously repressing. And that's, that's what it is. Obviously, there's a lot of techniques. I mean, it, it takes, I don't know about in California, but in Florida, it's a mandatory minimum of 50 hours on top of your licensing. Uh, you have to have training in order to be a hypnotherapist. Um, but there's a lot of tools that you have to learn how to use, but that's the basic premise. I like to give people the example, if you've ever been driving home after a long day of work and just spaced out in your car and then magically ended up in your driveway or maybe missed the exit that you normally take, uh, it was your brain knowing that it needed to do that, needed to hypnotize itself and process those un, uh, unorganized emotions that you're dealing with through the day. And so it's just daydreaming on purpose for therapy. That's kind of the way I like to think of it. And that's why the podcast is called Tripping Off. We're just going to trip off for a while and see what's in there. <laughs> I love that explanation so much. Uh, it, that's, that's, it was super helpful. It was helpful for you to talk about the brain. It was helpful for you to give examples, talk about the fusion between them. I loved it. How did you, you said hypnotherapy is daydreaming on purpose. Yes, that's, that's I, so I like to think of it great. that way. I love that. Just think about how often, you know, we have a rough day or we have like a crazy experience or like, you know, we, we put ourselves out there and get rejected by someone we think is cute. And then we just like space off and, and trip off because we're trying to process all that emotionally significant experience that we just had. And so our brain knows that we need this, but because of the pressures, because of parents or friends or significant others that told us not to be so spacey or to pay attention, we don't give ourselves the space that we need to, to heal. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's really where my passion comes from. So that's cool. Oh, well, we'll be talking more about hypnotherapy for sure then. Definitely. Absolutely. I mean, it makes me want to go get certified in it and learn more about it. So Let's amazing. do it. <laughs> that would be so great. I mean, it sounds so much like what I focus on, which is conscious awareness, you know, and yes. like mindfulness and paying attention and bringing your consciousness into your subconscious. And, and so it just, it seems like, we use different modalities for the same intention. And of course they're gonna have different outcomes because they're different interventions being utilized, but it's about, it's about not ignoring what's underneath and like yes. finding a way to, because what's underneath is what's controlling us so much more than we know. And so I love that 12%, 88%. And it's just so much of what people are like, no, that's weird. Like even like meditation is weird. Hypnotherapy is weird. <laughs> Being healthy it's, is weird. Yeah. It's like people are just, they're afraid of what they don't know. And they're afraid of what they don't know they don't know. And that's yes. why I think people don't want to go there. And they don't even want to talk about the fact that the subconscious and the unconscious exist. Because I mean, unless you want to grow, who the hell wants to look underneath? <laughs> No one. It's no dirty one. under there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a reason Jung called it the shadow. Like it's uh, it's dark, man. It's dark. It is. 
Well, as much as we could talk about that for hours and hours, uh, I do think it's a good transition into talking more about social media stuff because a lot of times people will gravitate and release their unconscious sort of pent up emotions through social media. And it can influence our unconscious mind because again, the same principle takes place. Like every time we're looking at TikTok and just scrolling up and up and up or Instagram scrolling up and up and up forever. Uh, it's doing that same kind of principle where our conscious mind is only able to focus for so long. And after doing a repetitive scrolling, for even just a couple seconds, your conscious mind tunes out, you stop thinking about those things you need to do, those stressors you need to have, and it trips off. And our unconscious mind comes out and plays and it just feels emotion after each of these 15 second 60 second videos. So uh, from your experience, uh, you know, from your side of the therapy couch, um, what are your opinions about the way that social media influences us? And how TikTok in particular kind of shapes our, our behavior, our thoughts, just uh, your thoughts about that kind of topic. Yeah, a lot comes up. Because yeah. I mean, well, first I think about there's so many different aspects of, of social media. And the first thing that comes up is what you what you put out there. So as you know, as a creator, but then just as any person using social media, it's like what you put out there, and then it's absorbing the content. And then it's commenting on the content and mm. it's like and so like the first thing that came up for me when you were talking about emotions with social media and like sitting there with your emotions is like when people like leave crazy comments or, like just ridiculously rude and like emotional comments it's yeah. like it, it shows it shows they're unconscious like it shows like if they have pent up anger, if they have certain belief systems, if they want, if they're judgmental or not judgmental, accepting or not accepting. And so really, if you think about like the social media has essentially replaced or become a brand new category of communication. Like we used to just communicate in person and we would have nonverbal cues and we would have, it would be a lot less, we would be a lot less communicative with fewer people because you would have to really use time and space to make that happen. Right. And now social media, you can communicate. Like we used to have to write handwritten letters and then fucking have like a horse <laughs> on a car, like ship them across the country to someone. And it would take so long to have communication with other people. And now we can just like that, send a quick letter yeah. to someone, an email, a comment. Like you can tell someone to fuck off. You can tell them that you love them. You can like, there's so many, you can do yeah. things so quickly. And it's like, I, I mean, I don't know. So much comes up for me. So much Yeah, it's, it's crazy to think like the potential that's had in social media. Like, like what's your most popular video? Like how many views has it gotten? My most popular video has almost 4 million views and it's crazy. So crazy and it's it's literally a video of me dancing. Okay, I I'm a therapist, okay? It's me dancing around. <laughs> Put this in context. <laughs> yeah, dancing around in black leather pants like with black lipstick and a black t-shirt like dancing around to apparently this like Latin song that's talking about like oral sex or something and I had no idea that these were like the lyrics to it so I'm like dancing around it's only like eight seconds long and I'm going like 
for any, like, here's something that you want to hear from a licensed therapist. Like maybe if you stopped ignoring your child's feelings, then they wouldn't need so much therapy when they're an adult. Damn. And like, that's what Wait it to tell them. Like, Four million people like saw that video. And I'm like, I had Struck no, I never expected that to happen. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no horse and buggy required. <laughs> no, for me to just like call out 4 million people. It's like wild, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it has positives and it has negatives. I th But I think that the generations play a role. Like, mm, when tell me more we, about that. When we first had, when social media first came out, I mean, the point was to look your best, act your best, because it was this new way for people to see you even when they're not really seeing you. It was mm. your way of putting out what you wanted yourself and your life to look like. And I think that that's what started to cause a lot of the problems because it was people being inauthentic and wanting to pretend to get likes and hearts mm -hmm. and follows. And I think it's caused a lot of damage actually. And I think that that's- I agree. It's caused a lot of damage and it's allowed us to to create a bunch of new connections that would not have otherwise happened. So there's it's a stream of negativity and a stream of positivity, and it depends on how it's used. Now the generations today, social media has allowed for information, important information, to spread to whoever needs to find it. And of course, there can be manipulated information. There can also be accurate information that people wouldn't necessarily get unless. We had these major people coming on social media and saying what they're saying about the truths about life. Yeah. So I think the younger generations are less afraid to call people out because it's easier to do it. And yes. I also think that that we've like the older generations, it was like, you know, the Stepford wife and the don't talk about religion and don't talk about politics and don't talk about all of this stuff and be surface level and be on your best behavior and show up the best. And I think that the younger generations are realizing that the world is actually a lot more fucked up than the systems and their parents and the government or whatever wants them to believe. And so they're like, we're getting out there more and we're saying like, we're going to be more authentic. We're going to be more real. We're going to speak the truth. We're going to go against the grain. And so it's like, it's kind of breaking apart the infrastructure that social media once had, which was let's be inauthentic and just be our best. Fake. Now, yeah, yeah, fake, exactly. Yeah. And now it's like, let's be real because that's the only way we're actually going to get anywhere these days. Yeah, I, I really agree. Well, and I don't know if anyone listening caught it, but you said something very insightful like a little, a little bit ago. You said that when somebody leaves a comment that's very hateful, it's really, it's not about the comment per se. And even those posts that are like, you know, overly, you know, positive, they've got the, the very cheery filter on, they're showing the best light and they're very fake. It's not about the post. And a lot of people, especially, you know, I don't know if I want to say just older generations because I think everyone deals with it, right? Yeah. At least this one. But I totally agree with what you're saying about the generational divide. However, those things about the comments and about trying to show your best face, uh, it's not about that post. It's not about the words in that comment. And a lot of people will get discouraged from social media because they'll only see 
the yeah. fake post or the fake comment or the hateful comment. What you really have to do is understand that there is an unconscious mind, an unconscious 88% behind that 12% verbal, one sentence, hateful communication that's showing you insight in a window into that individual's life that has nothing to do with you. Yes. And those hateful comments that may discourage you and, and those things, it, maybe people say them in your like regular non-social media life and they say mean things to you. Like take a moment, stop and think like, okay, do I need to really take this at face value and listen to exactly the words that are being said? Or is this an awareness, an indication, a subconscious suggestion of what this other individual is going through? And I, I don't know if anyone caught that, but you said that and that was, that was deep. Dr. Tracy, that was good. Thank you so much. <laughs> and I, I completely agree with the way that you broke it down too. I mean, that's like, that's why I named my podcast what I named it. Your unconscious is showing because I love it. My whole life, like the reason why I'm in this field is because my childhood was messed up. And I knew like from a very young age, I had to either accept the fact that everyone was in their own heads and it had nothing to do with me or I was going to be living with the fact that I was damaged and this life was meant to ruin me and no mm. one respected me and no one would be there for me and no one would love me and it was all me and I had to really like build up my own resilience and realize that like everyone was living in their own heads and like I've been living that my whole life is with that realization and so that's why I'm at where I'm at today and I, I really like for everyone listening, it's like, it's exactly what you said. Like, we get so affected by things that we perceive to be conscious choices that people are making towards us in positive ways or negative ways. And mm. it really is about recognizing that all of the shit that's going on in your own mind, all those thoughts, all those feelings, all those bodily sensations, all of those memories, all those wishes and those dreams and those desires and those aversions, all of that stuff that you listen to every day is what everybody else is listening to too. And everything that you're pushing down that you don't want to talk about, everyone else is pushing that stuff down too. And they, no one has a hundred percent of their mind to just be paying attention to you and getting exactly right who you are and, and what people should think about you. It's like, yes, we're all in our own heads. And once we realize that we really can reach a level of freedom that is so desired in this existence and that people will reach the end of their life and be so appreciative that they understood the mind in that way. So they didn't suffer as much as they needed to in life. Damn. I'm going to end it right there. That was <laughs> fucking beautiful. <laughs> if, if anyone takes anything away from it, uh, this podcast, I hope it's that and that you recognize, Hey, there's, there's so much going on out there and those things that we take personally. Uh, sometimes we just don't need to, cause everyone's living inside their own head. Dr. Yeah. Tracy, thank you so much. Hey, uh, please really do follow Dr. Tracy, the truth doctor at the period truth period doctor on TikTok and Instagram. She's got some great resources online, you know, links in her bio and all that good stuff. Uh, definitely download some of that stuff. Check it out. She's fantastic and has a very unique approach. Uh, and that's why I wanted so much to have her on. So Dr. Tracy, thank you for taking the time. I'll be respectful. I know we could talk for hours, but you are very busy, <laughs> very busy person and have a lot to do. But thank you for taking the time and sharing the insight that you have with, with those people who listen. Thanks. Of course. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was great. All right. Until next time. Take care. Thanks. You too.